and their struggle, getting everything stolen from them. And we pray that you would restore and bless beyond. So um, as we think of all these things, Lord, we think of how your word comes to play, uh, into play in our lives. And may that happen right now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul says, For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea, a town right nearby, as for many of us who have not seen my face in the flesh. He's never met them. His prayer for them, his desire for them. That their hearts may be encouraged, verse 2, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches and the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. You know, I think that might be my prayer for Malawi more than for their physical need. Do you notice Paul prays about your spiritual state above everything else? In whom are hidden, verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I'm absent in the flesh, I'm not with you physically, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Yeah, I know Paul really speaks mouthfuls of sentences that are very deep and difficult sometimes to grab everything at once, but he's going to go on to say we're complete in him. So if this is true, and there's all these riches in Christ and this inheritance and this understanding and this relationship of this mystery, this wonderful mystery that's been revealed, which is the Gentiles and the Jews through one offering, Jesus Christ, having oneness with God and being completed in him. If we're complete in him, why is Paul in conflict for the sake of these people that he's never met who've been led to Jesus? Well, wasn't the, wasn't the first century church like perfect and pure? You know, people have, for some reason, people have this concept that in another time, in a, long ago in a galaxy far away, that the church was perfect. It never was. Because guess who was there? People. People like you and me, my friends. People like the famous saying, don't, if you find a perfect church, go, don't go there because it'll immediately change. It'll be ruined. But there's no such thing. There's no perfect church in the sense because there's, there's no perfect people. None. Just Jesus. And so um, the church wasn't perfect. There was problems and there, was, uh, there were false prophets and false teachers. And Jesus warned against these people. Peter would warn against these people. James would warn against these people. Jude would warn against these people. And of course, Paul the Apostle would warn against these people and against their teachings. And Paul said to Timothy, he's fought the good fight of faith at one point. Well, that can include his physical sufferings, different kinds of discouragements and hardships in life and physical suffering. And it can, it can be a lot of things, but one of the main things that it was was Man, he got it from both sides. He got Jewish people that hated him for his turning to Christianity and Christians that didn't understand him and rejected him for teaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And so it was just easier to give up, so he just gave up and just went back to normal stuff. Because, I mean, if it's hard, you should just give up. I mean, if it's really hard to be a Christian, then why not do something else? If it's really challenging to be a Christian, then just go find something that's easier to do where you don't have so much conflict. Because, I mean, the purpose of your life is to be happy. Doesn't sound right, does it? None of that. There's something wrong with that. And not only, not only is it wrong, but you can't do it. <laughs> you can't accomplish it. It doesn't work. 
Jesus never lied to us. He told us the truth. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. Is that on anybody's fridge? (laughs) But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Hallelujah. So these people were coming, and the battle Paul was fighting with them, even through this letter, is they were saying, you're not complete in Jesus. He's not enough. Well, if you want to get robbed of your assurance and your faith, have somebody tell you and believe them when they say, Jesus isn't enough. Because as soon as you take into that, my friends, if Jesus isn't enough, nothing is. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't use different means in life to help you. And one of them is the body of Christ, and there are specific ways that God would work through circumstances and through our minds and hearts. But it's in Jesus Christ. So Paul says he was striving for them. It was he was agonizing like in childbirth against this opposition to the gospel. You know, Peter had said as newborn babes in chapter 2 of Peter, he says we should desire the sincere milk of the word and that we might do what by that? What is it, why does a baby drink the milk? So it can grow. grow. And that's what he says in Peter. He says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by it. You know, and as you grow, what do babies turn from after they just drink milk? Solid food. (laughs) Eventually solid food, yes, pablum. But that's solid food. And Paul says to the Corinthians, you know, I wanted to feed you solid food, but I couldn't because you're babies. Uh, So I had to feed you milk. Even Even when you were ready to move forward, you weren't moving forward. But what is solid food? Well, Jesus is the best one to go to for this said his meat, his food, was real food, was to do the, the will of the Father. He said, You're, for you to do the work of God is to believe in me. This is all in John chapter 6. But believing in him isn't just having a mental agreement, but it's actually believing him enough to follow him and to be discipled by him. And you know, discipleship is your new spiritual DNA doing its thing. Discipleship is your new DNA, your spiritual DNA. By now, everybody knows what DNA is. It's this little twisted ladder (laughs) inside of you. It's the makeup of the chromosomes of who you are. It's it's in you for who you're going to be, you know. When you look at your kids and you see yourself or your Aunt Tilly in them or whatever, it's the DNA that got passed on. And yet each one has its own unique DNA, doesn't it? They have a, they have a pattern, but the uniqueness, uh, don't worry, no science project here because I would fail miserably. But I do understand this. That's your new, to, to be discipled, to grow in Christ is your new spiritual DNA doing its thing. It's there, it's in you. He's in you. And so he's seeking to help you to grow. And that growth comes through obedience Obeying God is the highest form of worship. It's the deepest form of discipleship because you can't do any better than obeying God. Because other than that, it would be like the guy that went into the Louvre in Paris, the big museum, the famous art museum. He goes into the Louvre and stands in front of the Mona Lisa, pulls out his magic marker and says, I think this thing needs a little work. No, he's going to jail. You know, he better not touch that. They, woo, woo, woo. You know, you don't touch the Mona Lisa. Well, why not? You know, it might need some work. Well, you know, there's the guy who actually went there and was staring at this Mona Lisa, and he goes, yeah, 
It doesn't seem that great of a painting to me. I don't think it's all that great. And the curator was right nearby, and he said, Sir, the Mona Lisa is not on trial here. You are. You know, you don't judge the gospel. Yeah, you have to discern. You have to decide whether you believe it. I mean, you go through that process. But at some point, you realize the gospel is the gospel. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, chapter 1. So Paul uh, encourages these guys in their growth. And in verses 2 and 3, if you think obeying God is hard, well, sometimes it is. But it's not because you need a theology degree in order to follow God. It does not require a theology degree. I'm not against theology degrees. But the gospel isn't hard to follow through on because of the deep theology that's hard to understand. I mean, we kind of know that there's going to be things we don't understand in every area of life that you have to grow in. But if it's hard, it's hard because it requires loving your brother, your neighbor, as yourself. That's what's hard, right? I mean, I know I'm amongst a lot of very selfless people that have, that was 101 Christianity and now you've moved on, but there's some of us that are still learning and growing and uh, loving your brother. Your hearts are intertwined. Being unified in the love of God brings assurance. And our unity isn't that we all agree about every detail and every fine point of Christianity. Romans 15 says, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not saying, in that youth ministry I was in that was during the hippie days, we used to make a joke like, go to work, sign check, go to sleep, kind of like we, like we were in a cult. We were making fun because people thought we were in a cult. It wasn't. It did have a few... T- tendencies in it. But we were even able to laugh about those, say, yeah, it's a little... We were a little legalistic and very focused, like being in the military is what it was like. And it was, in so many ways, good for me, not bad for me. There were things you got a little misled on, like thinking you're the greatest thing since sliced cheese, because you are, live communally like the first century church, which was just not really the clearest picture of what was... But anyway, so there was fault in it, but we loved Jesus, you know, but we also understood that the thing is, is that it's the same in a marriage, it's the same between two really good friends who are laboring together in a goal, it's the same in a church family. It's not that we all have the exact same brain and think every thought the same, you don't have to do that. We don't ask you to do that. If somebody asked me to do that, I would run. (coughs) However... Just as Gail and I, we agree that that which unites us is greater than anything that could separate us. Where should we live? Where should we move? What should we do? The thing we determined wasn't that we'd know we'd feel exactly the same, but what we would know for sure is that nothing that comes against us or to pull us apart is greater than he who has brought us together. And our oneness is in Jesus Christ and following him. It doesn't easily answer every detail of life, but it answers the greatest need and direction of life in any situation. And some people will say, well, man, it's easier to love. Now, you may have said this. I'm not here to rank on you, if that's the right word. (laughs) But maybe you've said this, because others have. Man, it's easier to love nonbelievers than Christians. Did you ever say that? Anybody ever say that to you? You know what? That misses the whole point. It completely misses the point. Commitment, 
that would be like me saying, uh, it's easier, you know, if I'm having struggle, I'm going to use Gail. We never have this kind of problem, thank God. There was that one time, but it was my fault. You know, are we all good? Are we all, is everything okay here? Okay, I can go on. <laughs> it'd be like me saying, well, it'd be easier, it'd be easier, it's easier to love any woman in this church than you right now, than her. Well, you, you know what it is. It's, it's easy to pray with a lady on a Sunday morning and wish her well and share the word, and she goes, oh, thank you, Pastor Rick, and goes home. Because I have my commitment, I'm not saying I'm not committed, but that's just a brief interaction. You have friends that you go hang out with just to have a good time with. Oh, I feel closer to them. Yeah, we'll live with them for a year. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a stupid comment. I'm sorry, it's stupid. It's foolish. It's easier to love non-believers. Well, if you invest in a relationship, a husband-wife, a family, a church, you're going to have conflict And part of growing is dealing with conflict without running away. And it's always easier to love people that you see occasionally and get to go make them feel good. But are you spending the same time and energy in dealing with all their faults and flaws in a closed environment with them? It's baloney. It's It's a false concept. Now, there's some people that are easier to love than others in and out of the church because they're just easier to deal with. That's not the question. The question is, are you easy to deal with? (laughs) Are you easy to deal with? Or do people have to go, do they have to get bolstered up to be with you? (sighs) I got to get prayed up. I got to spend some time with Rick Cohen. That might be true. Isn't your job to figure out, I wonder if it's easy for people to be with me. Ah, stepping on some toes here. Wear some closed-end shoes. All right. So, I'm hot on this topic. I don't, I'm not perfect in this topic. I am committed to this topic. Because my life has been blessed by being knitted together with the body of Christ. It's been painful at times. It hurts sometimes. But there's a different kind of hurt to be all alone and also deceived. Because if you think you're good on your own, apart from the body of Christ, you're arguing with 50% of the Bible. New Testament. You're making up your own story, picking out the verses that talk to you personally, which they do, and ignoring the ones that talk to you about being collectively engaged in the body of Christ. Are you with me? This body, one thing you're going to understand, what I think about that, what the scriptures teach about it, because we're going to go through them. And if you don't like it, then you don't like it, but it's, it's the truth. <laughs> it is the truth. And you know, the thing about some of the other cultures is their communities operate more as a Christian community. Or in the same process that they're a part of each other in such a deep, we have to work on it in America because we've developed such an independent spirit and, a, and there's some really good stuff out of this that we've become able to do stuff that's valuable and good and healthy. And then there's another side to it that is unhealthy. All right, so moving right along, it's, uh, we get to see each other's faults, experience it through closeness. As you get closer, you find out more faults. That's why you take time and don't marry somebody the first day you meet them, because you need to find out who they really are, and they need to find out who you really are, and you need to spend some time in working together in a relationship and finding out that it's not loving Pete, the same kind of pizza, does not keep a relationship. 
you know. So that's, that's a nice thing that you have the same interests. It's a nice thing if a church has people that have similar interests. But the beauty of the body of Christ is that people who are so different from each other have a unity that goes beyond their differences. And that's where we want to be. We want to be where we embrace people that are different than us because of what Jesus, Jesus loves that person. It's okay to have friends that you are connected to that have similarities with you that you can kind of just relax with. That's fine. But if you always make your world about that, don't call that Christianity. The Qantas Club can do that. Christianity is when you embrace people who are not like you. And together you love the same Jesus because he likes all of you. Oh, hallelujah. So the pseudo-Christian Gnostic influences a philosophy class is much easier than restoration, <laughs> restoring a house that's an old house that's dilapidated is a little harder than sitting through a philosophy class and talking or going to uncommon grounds and talking for six hours about Bible verses and talking about what your opinion on stuff. You know, you can spend a lot of time hanging out, discuss, and I like doing that. But when it's time to build the to redo the walls and the frames of the doors and slivers and all that stuff, that's harder work, isn't it? Restoration. But there's such a beauty in restoration. We're here to restore one another together. That's why Paul says, you who are spiritual, when you see somebody overtaken in a fault, then go find somebody who you like better. Now, he said, when you see somebody overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, are you spiritual? Are you spiritual? When you see someone overtaken in a fault, go to them in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted you got to know yourself. Like, I'm no better than this guy or gal. That's why I can go to them because I care about them purely. I'm going to choose to do that, and I'm going to try to win them and help them, considering myself that I'm no better than they are. And I want to thank you. You know, I'm being hard and strong, but thank you. This body is, well, for me, I'm, I'm such a pansy. I'm being hard and strong. Okay, so this body is, is just I, I love my brothers and sisters and other places where I have brothers and sisters that are not afraid to involve themselves, not butt into people's privacy, but help and care enough to care. Thank you for what you do. So God's wisdom and knowledge is revealed through the love of Jesus, and he proved it with the cross, and he proved it. Uh, you can't do better than that, and that's where he leads us. Verses 6 through 10. Uh, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware. Did you ever see a sign on a, on a, on a uh, fence? Beware of dog. You didn't stick your fingers through. Is there really a dog in there? <laughs> if you still have fingers, you haven't done that. Beware. Beware. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So man's own theories and philosophies, and they sound good and they make sense in the human if God wasn't real. But he is, and that changes the game. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You know what these verses make me think of? As you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. I bet there's a bunch of you think exactly like I do. You're thinking about Kino's Grocery Store right now, aren't you? Kino's Grocery Store. 
there in Raleigh Hills, suburb of Portland, Oregon, Raleigh Hills, the very elite section. I didn't live there. I worked there. Anybody been besides Gail and Betty to Raleigh Hills? Amy. Where's Amy? You never been to Raleigh Hills outside of Portland? Oh, well, maybe you guys will get a little richer, and then you can go there. Well, anyway, <laughs> so I worked at the Kino's grocery store. It was one of those high-class grocery stores, you know. And I was a box boy at the age of 15. This is all before my time of salvation at 18. And I've heard about Jesus freaks a little bit. I watch TV, and, I, and I'm not a hippie. I'm 15, and I'm a nice Jewish boy, not so nice Jewish boy, <laughs> going, you know, working at this job. And one day, all the grocerymen were out. On the, they go out to the back dock, the loading dock. They're all kind of, hey, they're here, they're here. And they're laughing, and they go out. And so me and this other box boy, we're in the back doing stuff, and we're not needed right then. It was a quiet moment. So we sneak out the back, too, and we go out there, and up has come this yellow school bus, an older school bus that was obviously it was owned by Aloha Baptist Church because it said it on the side. That's the church I eventually got baptized in, but I went ahead of myself. They had, loaned, they had given this bus to this group of hippies, Christians, Jesus freaks, and out pours all these hippies, and they begin to dive into the giant dumpster right off the dock. Because they used to, unlike today where you're recycling as much and you're um, setting stuff aside, it just all went in the dumpster. Like lettuce got old, even in its full heads of cabbage and lettuce and you know, milk cartons that were outdated and um, breads and stuff that were outdated and in the dumpster. And so these guys were going dumpster picking. Diving. Dumpster diving, you're right. That is the correct term. <laughs> yeah, Marie Calendar cakes were going in. And so and so these guys, they jump in the dumpsters, and they're going around where the guys set stuff aside. You know, can we have this? And I'm the, the, the grocery men are like, you know, laughing at them, sneering at them, really sneering at them. And I'm just dumbfounded. And this guy's right in this dumpster about from here to the first row. I'm standing on the dock, and there's a grocery man right here, and I'm standing, and he comes out, and he's got not a, a long hairdo, not, not long, long hair. He's kind of got Brady Bunch kind of thing. And, and, and this, is, this, is, this isn't like hard to remember or, or I'm embellishing the story. In the name of Jesus, I am not embellishing the story. This is burned into my memory. Everything that happened is burned into my memory on this one. And he jumps out, and he's gotten this ear because he's facing this way. Lettuce leaf hanging out of his ear. And he pulls out a wrinkled track, you know, a little gospel message track. And it's wrinkled up, and it's cut like a ketchup stain on it or something, some greasy stain. And he looks at the grocery man. He's got this big smile on his face. He's full of joy. I'm like, and he goes, here, read this. It tells you about Jesus. He really changed my life. And I said, inside my brain, inside my brain, I'm standing there, my mouth is open, and I know what I said to myself. I said, man, I sure hope Jesus doesn't change my life. <laughs> That's as clear. You know, it was three years later when my sister's hippie friends came over, I didn't know they were connected to this group of people. That night, they took me to a Bible study at a berry farm. Was this group of people, God hid all that from my eyes, because I think I would have ran. I would have remembered that. And, oh, they're going to throw me in a dumpster, and uh, my mother will kill me. <laughs> 
And, and uh, you know, what's interesting, it's like the song that comes from that period of time, the early 70s. This was 69, but I got saved in 71, at the end of 71. That was 69, 1969. The song. That which I feared most is that which is most precious to me now. That which I feared most is that which is most precious to me now. I am so glad Jesus changed my life. But I didn't understand then. How did you receive Christ? Were you like me? Did you mock, reject, deny? Even the miracles that most of you know, the other part of the story, the miracles that happened that were obvious miracles that I still would not come to him and fought him. But then that night, that last night, December 31st, 1971, I realized you're real sitting in front of a tape recording of a Bible study after the berry farm, after the drought, traveling all this at almost midnight. You're real, you're here, and I believe you're the Son of God. I believe in you, Jesus, you're here. And I was saved. Now, what did I do to earn my salvation? All I had done, what I had earned by my rebellion and rejection and my mocking of Jesus, I mocked him. Some of you never did that. I mocked Jesus. What had I done to deserve what he gave me? Zero. Zip. Nada. Yeah. But I trusted him that night. What did I know to earn myself? Did I learn about the doctrine of the Trinity and fully understand it? I still don't. Did I have it all figured out? Had my discipleship become anything? No, I wasn't anything. I was a lost soul. And that's how I came to Jesus as a lost, confused young man who thought he was every, knew everything, didn't need God. God was just like me. Whatever I thought was how God thought. That must be how it works. As arrogant as you could be. You know, I came to him, as another song says, just as I am, without one plea, but that his blood was shed for me and that he bid to me, come to me, and I didn't say it in King James, but, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I came to the Jesus who was reaching his hand out to me. I put my hand in the hand of the man who stills the waters. Amen. You know, all those songs are saying that were from that day because people were truly coming to Jesus. And, and you know, when there's a revival, people come to Jesus and don't say, well, I'll try him. When it's a revival, people aren't trying Jesus out. When there's a revival, I'm not saying you can make this happen, but you can pray for it. The Holy Spirit falls and people are getting saved. And they don't care about anything more than they care about knowing Jesus. They didn't come to him just to fix their problems. They came to him because he revealed who he was to them, and they want him. And that's what I pray for, a revival. That people want Jesus more than anything. Where you don't have to coax them and coddle them. And I don't feel like burdened and uptight at you in this. I'm talking in general about you know, that, that tendency in us to try to weasel and work it and figure out ways to reach people. It's good. But we'd probably reach a lot more on our knees because it's a miracle. 
No, no, that guy said, I know how to get Rick Cohen. Well, it's very seeker-friendly. I'll jump in a dumpster and have a leaf in my ear and, you know, come to Jesus. Or we'll be hippies on a berry farm that he can't understand a word we're saying. We're talking in King James. They were. They were talking in King James. I thought I was on another planet. How did you come to Jesus? One way or another, you trusted in him. I've been 45 years a Christian. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've been on many mission trips. I've preached out in the streets and done you know, hard work. But when I come to Jesus today, I come the same way that I came the day I was saved, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. I, my confidence, I am confident. There's a difference between boldness, confidence, and arrogance. When it's about you, I'm coming to Jesus because, step back, I've been with him for a long time. I know the Bible really well. Let me pray. (laughs) Oh, get away from that guy. But when you come with confidence and assurance and boldness, it's because you know who your Redeemer is. And that it's all about him, not you. And he's proven it to you so long that you're now, what it means to grow in him is that you're just more in awe of him. You don't get old and stale, and I've already done all that. You get, you get richer because you realize how poor you are without him. And if that's not happening for you, get on your knees. Don't go to a philosophy class. Don't go to a class about self-enrichment, developing your skills and gifts and talents. That's, there's a good place for that. Do you understand what I'm saying? that's not happening in your life, do you care so much that it matters to you more than everything else? Well, Rick, that's a pretty high calling. That's a pretty deep calling. You're right, it is. Do you want me to make it less to try to change the gospel? Do you want God to be this thing that we kind of sort of believe in and kind of sort of worship him? And, well, I believe in God, but don't get so excited about him. Oh, okay, get excited about football because that's eternal. Because football loves me. Well, get excited about your job or your recreational vehicle. (laughs) Because those are going to actually come inside of me and live in me, and they're the reason that life exists. Oh, I get it. But But God, God, let's just keep that in perspective, man. Don't get so excited about God. How does that work? If you can't get excited, I'm not saying you have to be all emotional all the time. I'm preaching. You wouldn't want me to be, I think we should all be very, very excited about God. I mean, that doesn't really work. I, you know, so I am preaching right now. I'm not asking you to have a high emotional level of the time. Forget about that. Forget about how this is right now. But is it the most important thing to you? Or is it important to you because you want God to help you with everything else? Because he's no genie. He's God. He deserves to be worshipped. He doesn't make any apology for it, and I will make no apology for him that he does not deserve to be worshipped. If it's a struggle and you have pain and suffering, we need to weep with those who weep and put our arm around people and help them through because I've needed it too. But this is reality to us. This is not something to do to feel better about ourselves. We're not punching a clock here. If you are, you will become very dissatisfied here, and I hope so. 
so that you'll turn your life around or or really that you'd go somewhere where to some other kind of thing you i just know that would happen because we're not here to make ourselves the main issue we're here to make jesus christ the main issue and we don't apologize for it and if we suffer for it then we suffer for what's true and what's right you know I, I, there's it makes you more in awe of him the longer you go with him if you really are learning who he is. And, you know, the more I know, the more I know I don't know, but this I know. (laughs) Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. I don't speak as a man who's uh, arrived. I speak as a man that's uh, being carried on a stretcher. (laughs) And if I was me, if if I knew me the way he knows me, I'd drop the stretcher. (laughs) I would just, you know, I would just move on to somebody else if I was God. I'm so glad I'm not God. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. I don't live up to my preaching. But I do love him, and so do you. And some of you, maybe you're wondering if you do. Well, you'll find out whether you really, you'll do something with this right now. You'll, you know, will I actually get on my knees and go to the Lord and say, why don't I have any passion? Why is everything else more important to me than you? These are good questions for a Christian to ask himself. If you perpetually are in the same place, you need to ask yourself those questions and you need to go to the Lord until he answers you. Because he's that real or he's not worthy of being worshipped. Sometimes things are very big in our life and, and they draw us to the Lord. They're what God uses to bring us to him. And that's okay too. So, we are able to trust in him, and therefore we're able to point other people to him because I'm not pointing people to my exact way of doing things. And if you don't do it just like me, you're not a real Christian. Forget that. I'm not pointing them to my traditions and plans. How do we do? We have our own traditions here that kind of just they develop, even though we're very low church, very simple. And there's other churches that have very high things that they do all the time. How do you know whether it's good or bad? Does it bring you close to Jesus is one. Number two, this is a little scary. If you took it away, would you lose your relationship with Jesus? Then it's an idol. Okay, I love having a cross here because that cross is really cool. Because that cross was designed, the guy that told me to design it, I went, when I saw that wood, it was like, yeah, that kind of speaks of the rough and crudeness of the cross. It was a place of suffering, and yet it's kind of elegant and pretty, and I like it. If we took it down and put something else there, would you freak out? Well, you might say, I prefer having a cross here, but we don't worship this physical item here. You know what I mean? If we, we don't worship the building we're in, we don't worship the style that we do things. We worship Jesus Christ in the Spirit. That's very difficult to stay with. You end up getting stuff that you're comfortable with, and then if it's taken from you, <gasps> that you can't be a Christian without it. And you're even taught that by some churches. Your salvation's in Jesus Christ. In him, in him, in him. It goes on and on and on about it being in him, and I go on and on, so I'll try to stop here. Not a, per, not a program, not a teaching, not a set of rules or traditions, but a person. It's why when I was in Malawi and the guys were bringing up one of my trips with the pastors, all their different views on things, and they wanted us, John Eastwood and I, to settle what is the list of rules for all Christians? <laughs> What's the basic list of rules? Oh, I said, oh yeah, we've got that one here. <laughs> you know, I said, guys, we're never going to, if we just start with yours, and this guy here has a few he'll drop, but he'll add a few more, and by the time we go around the room, it goes all the way to the sky, what it means to be a real Christian, a dedicated Christian. 
And I said, all I know is this. Does everybody have a finger here? I've done this before, but just so you know, I, I said, does everybody have a finger here? Can you all do this? And everybody pointed up. Yeah. Everybody pointed. I said, look, look around the room. This is what we can all do with people is point them to Jesus. That's what we all agree about, don't we? We're not going to agree about all these details. That's not what it means to be of one heart and one mind. We agree that that which unites us is greater than anything that can separate us. And that's Jesus Christ. So finally, it was James Dobson and I, the story needs to be told more than, it needs to be told again and again. Who told the story some decades ago about a youth camp that was going on for church kids. And there, these teenagers were, uh, I don't know how to describe them, just typical, very, there was a lot of really uh, good in school, good athletic kids, good musical kids kind of an upper echelon church group and a few different groups. And there was a big crowd of kids, and there was a dynamic speaker, but they were not really drawn to the, to the words of the speaker that much. They were all kind of just living in their little cynical, smart-alecky, uh, you know, I could just see myself there, <laughs> even today. Uh, no, but anyway, uh, you know, they were in their little world, you know, and there was a kid there with cerebral palsy, which I think you probably know. Cerebral palsy affects all your motor nerves, but it does not affect your brain, your capacity for knowledge, understanding. You could be a genius, but you can't make your body work the way you want, including your talking could be hindered, and a lot of things could. So there was a kid there with his braced legs and his uh, crutches with the arms that wrap around your uh, your uh, forearm. And, and he's there, and, uh, you know, of course, he gets some treatment from the kids, a little bit of snide and laughter, and he's not really included a lot. It doesn't mean nobody liked him, but it wasn't. They weren't really in, they weren't like our kids here. Uh, really are, are just amazing. And uh, But you know how it is, guys, at school and at public and with even Christian kids sometimes, like Christian adults sometimes, we all fall short of the glory of God. So these guys were falling short of the glory of God in their, in their, but the last day came and the invitation came to come up and share what God was doing with you, you know, throw your pine cone in the fire or whatever. And these kids start coming up because they're church kids. They know what to do. But they get up and it's like, blah, 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 blah. You know, Jesus is really cool to me and I really love him. And, you know, and just the Lord showed me this. And it's just very, very like the leaders are saying, and the kids themselves later said, yeah, that was really lame. It wasn't real. And then it's just about over. And from the back row, of course, comes Mr. CP. And he hobbles his way up, and they see him coming, and it's like it takes him a long time to get there. It's there the, there's that quietness and a little giggling and sneering and, and, you know, a little painfulness because that's hard for him, and then it's hard for everybody. And he gets up to the front, and he puts his mouth to the microphone, and he says, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And he slowly walked back to his seat. And God broke through. God broke through. Kids started weeping, started raising their hand. Can I come up? i got to repent. I want to know Jesus the way, you know, Jeff knows Jesus. 
I need to know Jesus. I need to follow Jesus. Jesus, they were just started, they didn't want to leave the room and just stuff happened. And he, and, and he said that out of that group came where normally there'd be a few kids that would become missionaries and pastors. It was like this inordinate amount of people that went on from that high school, older high school group to become dedicated Christian workers in many areas, not just pastors and missionaries, but wherever they were, this fire went with them. Because you see, God took that, as we talked about previously, that clay pot with all its cracks in it, and the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shined through this broken pot. And the light shined in the hearts of young men and women, and suddenly they became in awe of Jesus Christ. It wasn't from a great, great, a slick speaker. I'm not knocking good speakers. It wasn't from a great program and plan and videos. It wasn't from anything that you could produce. It was only something that only God can produce. Only God can produce it. The music group's going to come out and we're going to play one more song because we just want you to have a chance to just honor the Lord with your mouth, with your words. Um, we re- understand that all the fullness dwells bodily in Jesus Christ, and we're complete in him who's the head of all. And what we don't fully understand, we receive, because it's all in Jesus. <laughs>